We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Chris Hewton. We just did a live interview with him yesterday with the North American Irish Coaches. Another really, really good interview. So I want to get this out right away. Everyone probably knows who Chris is. Former player with Spurs and Ireland and then managed Newcastle, Birmingham, most recently Brighton, Norwich City. Really excited to chat to him. He goes through a number of topics here. You're going to love this. Please let me know what you think at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. If you're looking for content during this time, there is loads of stuff on modernsoccercoach.com. We've been putting stuff out almost every weekday. So there's webinars up there. If you go to modernsoccercoach.com and you go to latest there's all the webinars in chronological order. So if you wanted to support Modern Soccer Coach and help us, we want to keep the free content going for as long as possible. We're not looking to pull the plug on it anytime soon if we get the support. So if you want to support us, please go ahead into modernsoccercoach.com. Go to the shop if you order a book, webinars, anything at all. It just keeps the thing going. So really appreciate it. Here is Chris. Enjoy. No, uh, good evening to you, and it's uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Excited about this, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on. We had a lot of coaches, obviously, in the coaching community. When you get a a former professional on who moved into the coaching ranks, you hear a lot about how the managers they played for impacted them. There's a manager that is obviously big in Irish football, is Jack Charlton, but he's somewhat of an enigma when when you're talking about modern coaching. I wanted to get your insights into what he was like to play for and did you take anything from him? I think certainly the the longer the longer that you are a manager, you go back and you think about the things that you learnt from your previous managers. And and I think, you know, at the time, I think most people felt about Jack that he had a he had a, a way of playing. That didn't perhaps experiment too much with you know the qualities of of uh, you know of a team. Um, it wasn't a game really that was based on on possession, um, and and it and it was very much you know an English style of play. And I think most most people saw Jack that way. But I think it's only as you as you coach and you're in coaching you you appreciate you appreciate what a good manager and coach Jack was and. And some of what he did was about simplicity, you know, and about repetition, about everybody knowing their job. So it's no different, no different if you are an expansive team that are going to play out from the back. It doesn't make any difference. You've still got to have a strategy of play. And, and a lot of that comes down to the information that you are given by your coach, the work that you would do day in, day out. And Jack would have been no different. And, and uh, I also have... No doubts that Jack, um, being or being brought up in this era, would have adapted exactly the same as others have done. 
So yes, I learned um, I learned a lot from Jack, and of course, we had great success with him. Another one would that I was really intrigued by when I looked at your pathway was Ozzy Ardiles, and he brought you in, in a, as a reserve ma team manager whenever that Tottenham team is probably the most attack-minded team in Premier League history. It seemed to all be just Aussie's philosophy was attack, attack, attack. Was that really how it looked on the inside? Well, uh, I, I probably have to admit, and, and I'm still very, very close with Aussie and very good friends with Aussie. So I think a, a, a bit of that was fact. I mean, what you can't do, you can't go into a campaign, particularly a Premier League campaign, and, and you know only think about attacking. Um, so, but I think it did seem that way, and you can understand why, because it was a very attack-minded team, and and Aussie had set his stall out very early of the way that he wanted to play. You know, he wanted to be a possession-based team. He wanted to be a, um, um, a, a, a very mobile team, a team that was able to press, was able to play in the opposition's half. But by the the, the individuals that he had in the team. You know, it was a it was a very attack-minded individuals that he had in the team. So you know, there has to be structure around what any anybody does. But he was a very offensive manager, and and I think probably, I think probably for Ozzy, I think if he'd gone through, he obviously had a difficult period and ended up losing his job. But I think if he'd, you know, maybe weathered the storm a little bit, uh, that period of time, I think maybe he would have been able to make them adjustments that uh, I think would have perhaps kept him at the club. Um, but he's another one that I learned a lot from. Um, he had a great philosophy in how he, he, he wanted to see his team play. And I think some of that was, was stemmed from, you know, the, the, the 80s team that we played in, you know, the Keith Birkinshaw team, which, which saw, you know, himself, Ricky Villa, um, Glenn Hoddle, you know, Mickey Hazards, all playing in the same team. So um, certainly it was... It was a, a very attack-minded team. Yeah, just on that, you you hear that today even, that you can't have too many flair players on one team, but you would be pushed to get more flair player than more flair than Aussie and Glenn Hoddle on the same pitch, surely. Yeah, well, no, Aussie was probably, I mean, Glenn, Glenn was, was arguably the, the most gifted player, certainly probably the most gifted player I've played with. Naturally gifted, two-footed two and... And you know, you, you you could do things in training that that would amaze you. Um, Aussie, although Aussie was a, was you know a good technical player, you know Aussie's role in the team was certainly a little bit more defensive than what uh, than what Glenn's was. And and the way we compensate that is that you know most people feel that Glenn played you know in a very central role, but Glenn in effect played as a narrow on a narrow on that right hand side. But we gave or the, the, the manager gave him that license to be a shift position. So um, the, we, we still had to get them balances right. And probably Aussie was, was a, a little bit more defensive than what, um, than what I think people would have thought or, or even sort of gave him credit to. You can't, you, can't have, you can't have a team that has any type of success that doesn't uh, get them balances right. And, and it is about the quality players that you've got and trying to get them into a structure that um, that that can suit the team. Yeah, whenever you went then to work with Kevin Keegan, I mean, there, there's another manager that played with a a real attacking, and that was his second spell at the club. Like his first spell again, Newcastle, the Entertainers. 
again, outside looking in, looked to be attack, attack, attack. Was Kevin any differently the second time around from that? Uh, it no, it was different. Yeah, certainly different from when I went there. And I think there are two, you know, the, there are there are two aspects of a team that you see as an attacking team. Is you know one that you've got a lot of attacking players in the team, and the other is is that you want your team to be an attacking team. So you know, if I looked at the the the, the team that that um, at Newcastle the second time around. When I went there with Kevin, you know, you butts and your Bartons in the team that, that you wouldn't see them as, you know, offensive type players. Mm. But he, he was an offensive manager and he wanted the team to, 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 to play a certain way. But Kevin was also was also clever enough to know that I think first time round, you know, the team that he had, he knew was a team that could not only attack, but could win games. And I think probably second time around, I think he felt he probably didn't have the same level of offensive players to be able to win the games that he could first time around. And that's about good management and, um, and adjusting the, the team that you've got. But we would always still see Kevin as, as you know, a, an offensive type manager because I think that's his philosophy and that's very much in his makeup. Something that's changed in the definitely in the modern game seems to be changing is the specialization role of assistant coaches with some coming in with periodization speciality, some coming in with analysis. You worked in a with a lot of different managers. Did you specialize in something in particular, do you feel, or did that change depending on who you worked for? It it changes and, and what we can do, we, we can go on to, you know, those that have worked um, for me, but but it depends, you know. I worked under seven different managers, and and predominantly sort of six, five stroke six at first team level, and it depends on the role. And in in, in most of them roles, it was you will have the. If I just looked at an example, when I worked under Glenn, well, Glenn was a manager, John Gorman was the assistant manager, and I was the first team coach. So it's it's very difficult when you have. Um, so a manager like Glenn, who, who wants to do a lot of work on the training pitch, it's very difficult for you to get the the period of time working with the players on the training pitch that you would like. Um, but other managers are different. Other managers will allow their, their assistants or their first team coaches to do more minutes on the training pitch. What I always done, because, because of those that I worked with, and maybe, maybe not doing as much on the training pitch, actually coaching one-to-one -one with players and so on and taking sessions, you know, I always uh, engrossed myself in some of the other aspects, which was, you know, the, the, the communication with sports science, with the analysts, with um, uh, um, uh, the, the, the medical department, with, with recruitment, even as regards discipline, the fines and so So, so I always try to, to, to almost have a, well-rounded education um, and, and some of that was because because of a work ethic and, and I've always been somebody that, that, has, that has enjoyed working hard there were the days where you felt that you know you didn't do enough you know you didn't do enough on the on the training pitch and to, to compensate for that I would get involved in other things that, that would always benefit that would always benefit the first team but going on from that um, if I look at 
the, the coaches that I, I've had work for me, as I've got more experience as a, as a manager, you know, my uh, coaches have, have contributed more to the work on the training pitch. And um, my thinking with my experience has always been there's no, there's no point in me having a, uh, employing a, what I regard a really good coaches and then I'm doing all the coaching. So I, I, I you know, I, it's something that I, that I think back to my roles and, and, uh, and finishing a day being satisfied with the work that I've, that I've done. So I make sure that the coaches are very involved in, in the day to day and, and generally we'll split the session up on most days on most big days into three parts. One, my um, uh, first team coach will take maybe the first part. Um, my assistant manager, whatever it is, possessions, small-sided games, will take the, And then certainly anything tactical-related, game-related, I will take. And, 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 I, and I think it just gives them that good feel factor that they've, that, that they've really contributed. Another trend, I suppose, in modern-day management is this managing upwards now i suppose at all levels of the game but in particularly in in premier league and, and the professional game with so much turmoil in some of these clubs and newcastle it must have been it must have been unreal with the with that turmoil upstairs and the pressure on the result do you have to build relationships do you have to sacrifice time with relationships or how does that process work um, it, it's it's something that you have to continually work on and um, it's become um, more important I think than ever you know certainly with the change in face of uh, ownership and CEOs and um, so we you know we all remember we all remember you know many years ago where you know the communication probably would have been between the, the manager and probably the club secretary you know the the, the chairman wasn't involved in the day-to-day runnings of the club and possibly that one conversation with the chairman once or, or once a week or once every couple of weeks. You know, the, the modern-day owner, chairman, CEO is far more involved in the club these days. Um, and, of course, when you've got new owners, when you've got new owners that have invested so much money into their clubs, they, they want to be um, uh, made aware of everything that's going on. They want to be a part of everything that's going on. So them lines, lines of communication between the manager upwards is more important now than it's, than it's ever been. And um, in, in a period of time where we see the, the average tenure of a, of a manager being probably 14 months now, uh, and we know that the hiring and sacking game, you know, can be so, um, quick and prevalent in our game is that um, to to give yourself the best opportunities is that it's about I say that regular communication that the, 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 the those above are aware of the day-to-day runnings your decision making and and there's never anything wrong with picking up the phone to your CEO to your to your owner you know when you are making that decision and and making sure that he's on board with it yeah, alongside that, then with staying on Newcastle, uh, curious to get your thoughts on that. The summer that you got relegated, and the, I always remember there was a lot of there was a lot of big names in that squad on 
what we were led to believe to be a huge amount, huge amount of money. There was a bit of unrest on who was going where, but you seem to get that squad turned around really quickly and tight to start the championship really well and go ahead and end up almost comfortably winning it. What was the secret to doing that off the pitch in the summer? Well, um, I was fortunate in some ways that um, that we uh, had a difficult summer. And the difficult summer was because, you know, who wanted to stay, who wanted to go. And of course, um, nothing too much happened in the summer. And of course, at that time, the, the, the club was up for sale. So you've got all of them things going on. And um, for, for anybody who's, who's not been to Newcastle, then you know, what they do have there, they have two daily papers that, um, that, that probably the back six pages, um, back 10 pages is about Newcastle United. And uh, it's the type of city and club that, that it is, that fanatical about their, their club. And so it was day to day, day to day, Sky Television was a club being sold, somebody had come in. So all of that we had in the background. Um, and then it was about which players wanted to, to go, which players wanted to stay. And unfortunately for us, we the, the, the players had a meeting, players had a meeting into pre-season. The pre-season had gone, gone really well. Um, then we had a big defeat at, at Leighton Orient, which um, which was a, a big surprise. And and very quickly after that, you know, when there were a few sort of harsh words said, you know, the players you know, determined the ones that wanted to stay and the ones that, that, that wanted to go. And from that moment on, um, things, certainly things became easier. And they became easier because of two points. Uh, one, because of the type of individual that we had. You know, we had some very strong personalities in that team uh, and a very good team. Uh, and the fact that we started the season well, um, you know, for, for all of us that were involved in football, we all know that it's an easier game when you're getting good results. And, and that's what saw us through. You know, we continue to have good results. So that feel good factor was there. Uh, and of course, everybody then, even, even earlier in the season, everybody's focus on them was to make sure we stayed in that, that top two or stayed at the top of the division to give us the best chance to get back to promotion. You've built a really, really good reputation of the relationships that you have with the players. And I was interested to, to see in one of your interviews that Gary Lineker spoke about that you always tell the players that aren't starting the game ahead of time that they're not starting do the two go hand in hand? Do you think that communication, is that something you picked up as a player? Where did you learn to value that? Yeah, and I think so. And I think it's it's a couple, it's a few values. As a, as a player, yes, if I think of my time at Tottenham, you know, we were we were always told, but it, was, it, it wasn't as difficult then because, you know, because of my age and experience, you know, I, I played in an area where, you know, we only had one sub, then two subs. So, you know, those being left out of um, the initial squad. And also in them days, generally, if you played and you won that game, you played in the next game. You know, there, there weren't many changes. And, but I think the change now in the attitude of a, a lot of managers is because the squads have become bigger and it's, in it, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to talk to a lot of players you know, before the game on, on the Saturday to say that they're not playing. But it's something that, that 
that I think is a player that I always want. So, yes, uh, night, you know, there are, there are the odd occasions where maybe two games in a week and everything's happened so frantically that you're not able to get around or I might decide I'm just going to play the same team. Um, but generally, probably 90% of the time, um, if I'm changing the team, um, uh, then I will tell the individuals. And uh, generally, if I look at my week, um, we we will there will be some indications on a Thursday if we're playing 11 v 11 on a Thursday. So there are some indications there in the teams that I pick. Um, but Friday before training, um, I will name the team on I say on, on majority of times and tell those that um, um, and, and it's it, it's always been a preference for me. I think it helps me with my relationships with with the players, um, and I think as a, as a player, I think you would want to know. Um, and it also, I know this is a a long answer, um, but also something else I thought of. You know what you what you do. It's it can be a stressful business, and th there is there is that little bit of release. You know when you've you've, you've picked your team, you've trained on the Friday, and actually you can have a a good period of time on a Friday, which becomes a little bit of a downtime. You've done your work, you've done your work for the week, your preparation's been done, you've named the team, and you can actually have that little bit of downtime, which is important. But if you haven't named the team, you know, there's still that little bit that's going on in your mind, you know, shall I change it or so? So, so that's the, the reasons why that I always do it, and, and certainly I think it's better for the players. Mm. The going on that stress level. And the pressure that that pressure cooker that a Premier League manager lives in. How do you manage yourself during the week to try and, I suppose, just stay on top on match days? Do you come down after a game and then get away, or how do you manage your emotions? Um, with with great difficulty, and um, you know, for you know, I I I will tell you, you know, all of the things that you should do. Um, but you know, every manager you speak will tell you exactly the same. You know, they will tell everybody else what you should do, um, but it's hard to take them lessons yourself because you are so engrossed with the, with the work that you do, the day-to-day -day, um, runnings of the football club, and there is always something. Um, but you do try, and I must admit, I am probably, um, for me, I, I made sort of a, a conscious effort because if it's up to us, you know, the, there's football on every night. You know, we take videos home, we take the laptops home. There are so many players that you need to recruit and look at. So I have made a conscious decision. I must admit over the last couple of years that to maybe watch some other television uh, in the night. And uh, not, I'm not talking about news because I'll possibly watch that very early in the morning and, and somebody that likes to keep on, on top of the news. But, you know, there might be documentaries, you know, an hour on documentary, sports documentaries. There might be a a series, uh, you know, ones you have there like your Billions or um, Ozark that's on at, uh, on at the moment, you know, that type. And, and I made a conscious effort to, to at least to try and have an hour, an hour and a half every evening, just switching off, you know, watching something else. So probably that's my little bit. In general, it's very difficult because it's so full on. And of course, there are the emotions on winning and, and losing games. And nothing, there isn't anything that will change this. You know, the, the Sunday mornings are brilliant Sunday mornings when you've won on a Saturday. 
Sunday mornings are not good Sunday mornings when you, when you've lost. And um and probably just going on from that one, what I do try to do is is to analyse the game, give a post meeting um, as quick as I can after the game, and and and, and obviously get that out of your system. Hmm. Uh, I really appreciate you be willing to address the current issues obviously around the world at the minute reading one of your articles in the guardian last week you said that if i'm looking at the protests and wondering if it'll change things the answer is yes i wanted to get your thoughts on you know, what key areas do you think we can make progress in the short term um are you talking about in general or in, in the game uh the game primarily yeah yeah, well, it's it's about you know what what I will do is I'll speak about you know what we have, what we have here in England, and um, there is there is absolutely no doubt that that um, that the incidences in America in the last couple of weeks have affected, I think, everybody here. I don't think there would be there would be anybody here that that hasn't been affected by it. So, uh, and now taking that on. And I'm looking at what we are seeing here at the moment, and of course, with social media and the amount of new posts that uh, that are going on, the amount of players that are voicing their opinions. Th this is my uh, thinking and desire that that I think it will lead to change. You know, and the things that that that, that we want to see are the visual things, um, as in in America we have uh, a big percentage of black and ethnic players play in the game here and if I look at the symbol here in England symbol here in England of course is the the England national team and if you go through the England national teams and, the, and in particular the younger teams the the under 21s the under um, 20 to 21s under 23s under 18s there would be quite a, quite a large quite a big representation from the black and ethnic community so uh, for so for a game that um, that has so many black and ethnic players in it then the percentages of black and ethnic coaches um, black and ethnic individuals be that men or women in the, the visible positions in um, the game sports science, um, of course, um, directorship uh, level, ownership level, um, is such a small percentage. Um, you know, the way that, that I've always spoke is, is that what we, what we had here in England is um, we have had and have um, racism in the game. And you know, racism has ex existed in our game. And I think we are aware of that from you know what went on in the turnstiles uh, i'm sorry in the spectators um what we recently saw in in some of the the england games what we have seen still in in the crowds here what what we saw you know on the pitch racial prejudice and racial abuse on the pitch so it's something that we we know existed in our game and i don't think there's anybody that doesn't accept that uh, that it existed um, so I think the game has a responsibility. The game has a, a responsibility to redress imbalances, to to right some of them wrongs, uh, and to show a, a real enthusiasm for that change. 
So, you know, that responsibility is not down, you know, and what you are hearing at the moment, you are hearing some very um, vocal comments from players, which is, which is fabulous, not just black players. And, and as we are seeing in the, the, the marches um, and the protests, you know, it's not just black and ethnic faces that you're seeing, it's, it's incredibly multicultural. So that's something that's, that's pleasing to see. And we all have a responsibility for that to change and to put into to put the processes in place for that to happen. Have any US coaches on any sport with England and British football being almost ahead of the curve on this? Like you said about the experiences that it's been it's been happening there for 20, 30 years. Have, have any US coaches or any professionals from over there been in touch with you? Have you been communicating with anyone on it? No, no, no we haven't. And I, I think there's no doubt what, what has happened is, is that in um, the recent surgence of, of you know, what we're seeing in, in, on social media, um, of course, Black Lives Matter, and of course, the industry in, in America have, have highlighted um, the problems that, that we have in this country and have had, and have had in this country. And I think as in, in other countries. So I think what uh, happened in America is no doubt very much dovetailed and we're seeing that very much here now and, and in other countries. So I think with regards to communication between um, the countries, no, I don't think particularly that has it. But what it has done, it's made uh, everybody aware. It's made every, everybody, I think, in a position of authority, in a position of power, to rethink, rethink their, their principles. And I think what it will do, I think what it will do, I think it will make owners, I think it will make people in, in positions to really evaluate and to really think about the organisations and the teams that they run and how they can improve things. Um, and, and I think probably with the speed that it's going, um, what, what will come with that, I think that will be, you know, a, an emotional um, pressure applied. I think to to everybody, to to see them changes. Brilliant, brilliant, Chris. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. I'll uh, I'll turn you over to Enda here with a couple of questions from the crowd and the coaches. If that's okay. No, you're very welcome. So glad. Chris, how you doing? No, I'm doing well, thank you. Good stuff. So, Chris. Um, you played uh, over fifty times for the Republic of Ireland. Um, I, I know your 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 man was from Limerick, I believe. Was it always something growing up that you thought about that I want to represent Ireland, or did you spend a lot of time in, in Limerick in the summers, or how did it come about? No, and um, you know what, what I I wouldn't say, even though a very very proud moment for me representing um, the Republic and um, uh, and the career that that I had there. Um, but as a young kid, um, no, I didn't spend um, many uh, years in, in Limerick. I'd been there, I think, on, on two occasions. And I think that the, the, only reason, the only reason for that is that, um, as we can all remember in them days, I had a mother and father that both, that both worked. You know, we were very much a working class family. Um, where we was fortunate was that um, my aunties my um, mother's sisters there were time i think four of them living in england as well so 
what we what we, the the way that it worked was that my my nan um as opposed to us going there more often she came over to england every year because it gave her an opportunity of course to see the her five daughters and brother that, that were living in england so growing up um, i was very aware of um, ireland and the culture of ireland um, but i probably didn't really fully experience it until um i had the opportunity to to represent um represent the republic and at the time i'd broken into the spurs team and there was some talk of some interest um of england and england possibly coming in for me but but i i must admit as soon as i got the call as soon as i got the inquiry would i be interested then it was something that um was a, a, a very easy yes for me um, something that I am delighted. I've had some wonderful times there and wonderful memories. Brilliant. So just just to follow up on that, what's what's your best memory uh, playing for the for the for Ireland and and our coaching for Ireland? I mean, what what is your fondest memories from both of those times of putting on that green jersey? Um, well, probably two. If I if certainly playing, and um, I don't think there will be too many people that um, that that know. Uh, Irish football uh, uh, or Irish or know me that, would, that probably doesn't know what I'm going to say and of course that would be the Euros 88 and uh, the first game against England. Um, <laughs> the obvious reason for that apart from the, the fact that it was it was the the game that we wanted to win we were all playing in England we were huge underdogs at, at, at the time um, so apart from the fact that it was a very historic win, uh, it was our um, first uh, major championship. And, um, and I'd been in, I must admit, I'd been in Irish teams before that, that I think on paper were, were as good as the team that we had in 88. You know, players, players in, their, in their prime, you know, your Liam Brady's, you know, absolutely in, in their prime, Jerry Daly's. David Langham's before that, you know, real sort of quality players. And so we always had, we always had a good team on paper and it was just getting over the line. So, so to qualify was, was something very, very special to be the first team, first uh, Irish team that qualified for a major championship. And then to win that first game against the odds, um, I say for, for a group of us that, that were all playing in England. And on the coaching side, um, I don't think Annie's particular game. When when Brian Kerr asked me would I would I assist him, um, it was a, a huge honour for me. I had great respect and still have great respect for Brian. We had a great record. You know, we just unfortunately just missed out on, on qualifications. But if, but if you look at Brian's record as regards you know wins and losses, a lot of draws here, I know. But of course, at international level, you know, on a lot of occasions, draws are good results. But he's got a wonderful wonderful record but to to be able to assist him and to be on a coaching staff for the, for the team that i represented as a player was again a huge honor for me yeah fantastic chris two or three you know coaching standards or points that you you keep regardless of, of the team uh you know where where you're coaching or where you're located in in the table what would be two or three key coaching kind of standards that you would stick by um, one is is your um, your principles, and you know what I think. What we see in the in the modern game is a lot of fluctuation. You know, a lot of teams 
um, losing games, manager deciding he wants to play a, a, a different way. And, and I, th I always felt and always feel that as a player, if you've got a manager that's chopping and changing the system week in, week out, you know, it's, it's about repetition and knowing your roles. And, and I think at times there can be that <clears throat> inconsistency and confusion as to regards your role. So I think it's about being clear, clear and direct about players' roles and responsibilities and, and of course, doing that work on the training pitch. And I think there's nothing better than when you speak to a player that a player knows his role. A player knows his role for whatever game that is and knows the system that they're playing and because they, are, they have worked at it. So I think it's that clarity in the roles and responsibilities that you want from your players. Um, yeah. For me, uh, it's, it's being true to yourself. Don't try to don't try to be a different type of coach than, than than what you are. You have to work around your personality, and if you try to be a different personality, then players will see through that one. So you know, make make your coaching style an extension, an extension of your personality. And I think generally you will see that you know, when you look at um, and I know they're very. Um, vocal and because of the amount of football that's on television particularly at the moment you know when you look at these these big managers these big name managers you know you can almost determine the type of personalities that they are yeah. and you know, one thing i can guarantee you is that, that that is exactly how they are when they do the team meetings when they're on the training pitch when they're taking the sessions so tr try not to be something that you that you're, you're not and and absolutely clarity the clarity of roles and responsibilities, what you want from your players. Brilliant. Uh, data analysis, Chris, uh, how much uh, do you use it? How much does it, do you get dive into it yourself or do you leave it to your kind of analysis department or would you, would you like to, do you dabble in it yourself a wee bit and, and look at it or, or do you trust, you know, what's going to come out from the department? Yeah, well, I think you, it depends. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that, um, you know, I, I can tell you one thing when I um, when I left Norwich to and this is the change the change in 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 what we have in modern sciences um, when I left Norwich we had um, we had two analysts two full-time analysts one on the first team that worked on our preparation for games obviously meetings and so on post post meetings and one on recruitment um, six months later when I went to to Brighton we had four full-time staff just on recruitment two full-time staff on the first team and that's the difference and, and if you go to some of these big clubs now you know their their recruitment department the analytic department and the numbers that have got in there have, have grown and grown and grown so i think we're we're uh, i've been fortunate in certainly in the last couple of jobs and working at Premier League level is, is that the resources available to you and the manpower available to you are certainly greater than they were at at, at, at lower level. So I think as a, uh, I, I've been fortunate, you have to have some knowledge of it. You have to be able to delve into it. But what, but I was I have been fortunate that uh, that I can I can speak to the analyst department, the individuals, and tell them what I want. They can prepare it. And we can incorporate that into into the work that we do 
you know, whether it's with the first team or whether it's regarding recruitment. Of course, if you are working underneath that level, you're working below championship, first division and second division, as a coach, you've got, you've got to have a decent knowledge because a lot of that you are doing yourself um, or you are doing it with some, somebody else. So you've got to have a fair, a fair knowledge of it. But it's, it's part and parcel of the game. The big clubs um, will use it in so much, so much of the aspects of, of the game now and what they do at first team level. Yeah. Um, managing at such a high level, Chris, and, and obviously, you know, getting results and climbing tables is, is, the, is the priority, right? Uh, but how do you get your philosophy and style across while getting results, right? I mean, that's, that's obviously, uh, that's, that's the tough, tough piece of it. So how, how, do you, how do you get that? Do you have any strategies to get it right? Every time I, you know, I take a job, these are, these are the things we're going to do regardless, or how do you balance the two? Well, the, the easiest thing that I could say to you, and there is something in this one, is, is stick to your beliefs. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're often asked the question as, as, as managers is, you know, what comes first? You know, when you go into, to, and I've heard lots of managers and, and, and them saying different things. Um, when you go into a club, do you go into a club with with a, a way that you know you want to play, a philosophy that you you have, and you work with these players um, regarding that that system, that system, that philosophy, you know, or do you go into a club, determine the level of the players, the type of players that you've that you've got, and determine then a, a structure, a way of playing that suits the players that you've got. Now there'll be there'll be managers that will say that will say both. And I know in particular, though, Steve Bruce, when he went into to Newcastle and the system that he plays, of course, um, whichever way you look at it, you know, 3-4-3, three, three, sometimes that's a three, you know, five across midfield. Um, but he felt that it was because of the players that he had that that was the best system for them. Um, I have always, in all the clubs that I've gone into, wanted to play a system, and the system would have been a, a four, 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 one, one, four, four, two, whichever way, a flexible four, four, two, um, or four, three, three, um, and and I've always wanted to play that one, and and it's for me from day one to implement that that structure, implement that philosophy with the the players, and the way that you can do that, of course, is in, in two areas. Most importantly, the work that you are doing on on the training pitch, and of course, what you are doing in the meeting rooms, the classrooms, and individually with the players. So for me, it's more important to to have a fear, uh, 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 to to have an, uh, your initial thoughts of of how you want to play, um, and and of course, have the players buy into that. Yeah, brilliant, Chris. Uh... Jack Charlton, we all know what a what a legend he was for Ireland. Um, why did he fit so well for Ireland? What what made him what made him pick with 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 being you know? I mean, he's you know the man, the man was a hero there. You know what 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 made him tick? You know what 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 made him um, what made him such a great fit for the position in Ireland? Well, he he, he was a great manager for us, and um, the, the reason for that is that what he did he took over a group of lads. Um, where he was fortunate is that he took over a very talented squad and 
and probably, and th this, you know, may be a little bit unfair um, to those that came before Jack, um, but I think he just gave us that bit of direction. You know, what we'd had, we'd missed out in the two campaigns before and narrowly missed out. And, uh, and I, for one, thought that, that Owen Hand had done, done a really good job with, um, with the players that he had. But we, but we came close. So what we needed was somebody that was just going to get us over that line. And I think what Jack came, Jack came with um, a system that was different. You know, we were playing a more direct style than, than what we had, we would, had played before. Uh, and I think what he did do, Jack, was that um, we all knew our jobs. There, there was no uncertainty about what we spoke about, about the roles, your roles and responsibilities in the team. From every individual, centre half, right back, we knew what we was what was needed, and uh, and I think what happens is is that sometimes, particularly when you've got a, a lot of players that are playing at clubs that are playing a little bit of a different way. I was at Tottenham that that were a fairly offensive team, and we had great players, of course, at Manchester United and Liverpool. Um, it can take a little bit of buying into, uh, and and for me that was Jack's quality, the fact that. Um, when we saw what Jack wanted, um, when we saw the results of that, then everybody bought into it. And, you know, I think you're, as a manager, you know, I think you're a good part there. You know, when you can see the, the quality that we had and a group of players that are buying into a, a way of playing, um, and, and I think you are a, a fair way there. Yeah, perfect. Chris, I'm not going to get away with uh, without asking a question. Um, it's every second one here on the chat. Uh, would you consider the manager's job at, at Birmingham? The Blues fans are calling you back. Is some of the com uh, comments we're getting? Yeah, well, well, I've heard a, a bit <laughs> myself as well, but but I've I've been out of the game for for a while, and, and what I have got used to, and, and and as a manager, because you are never always in a job as a manager. It's part and parcel of the game, and of course the the difficult part of the game is is losing jobs um so but what you also get get used to you get used to that um to to that speculation uh, one thing i would always say is is that you know uh, s speculation is always flattering because if somebody's talking about you or somebody's linking you to to a job then it's something that's always flattering um but but what i would also say is is that so when when you're commenting on these things you also have to have respect always have to have respect for the club itself and um i had a wonderful time at uh, at birmingham it is speculation at the moment and and whatever happens with anybody you know that going into that job it's it's a wonderful club that that needs to get back to um, you know, really pushing to get back into them, them positions that will allow them to get back into into the Premier League. So I know I've said that in a, in a roundabout way, but, yeah. but my my responsibilities as a as a manager means that that I that I have to. But I say any any speculation and any nice um, words that, I, that that I've had said from the Birmingham supporters is is always um, really appreciated. Yeah, they're love they're loving you on here. Uh, well, well, I was uh, I had, uh, had one year there, and it's the it's the only it's the only club that I've left, and, I, and the, the only reason I left Birmingham was to to go to uh, we'd reached the playoffs, but uh, didn't get get promotion. We had a, a a wonderful season, which saw us play in the in the Europa Cup, and 
and it's um, and it was it was one of the best, one of the best, and I and I would say in my footballing career, it was one of the best years that I've had in my um, footballing career, and we travelled um, across to Europe, and, and and I had Birmingham City supporters telling me that, you know, they were hearing hearing songs that they hadn't Birmingham City songs that they hadn't heard sung for so many years. I mean, it was it was a, a wonderful season, and, and of course. Um, we were afforded the Europa Cup because the club had qualified for the for the League Cup the season before that, beating Arsenal. So it was a wonderful journey that um, that season and, and one that uh, I shall never forget. Brilliant. Um, Irish football at the moment, Chris. Uh, again, I'm sure you I'm sure you watch it closely or, or as well. But uh, you know, Irish youth football, the national youth teams, 15s, 17s, 19s are, are doing a doing a great job. A lot of younger lads breaking through teams in in, in England and. And uh, it's a exciting time for Irish football. Um, what do you think of, um, you know, the current state of Irish football? And, and Stephen Kenny's obviously a, an exciting uh, hire as manager. He did a, a good job with the twenty ones. Played good football at Dundalk and the twenty ones. So, what what is your what is your take on, on uh, Irish football at the moment? And uh, where do you see it headed? Well, I I, I just hope it can, it can move forward. And Stephen, I, I know well. I think he's he's uh, an exceptional. I was going to say young manager. He's not as He's not so young uh, these days, but, it, but but with a lot of experience, and um, I certainly wish him uh, all, all the very best. Uh, you are right. I think there are a, an array of, of really good talent in in the, the underage teams, um, you know. But I could also say that you know that's that has been there in the past also. You know, I can think of of many years and many periods where where there have been so many good and and, and exciting. Uh, young players and, and young talent that, that, have, that have come from from Irish and from the Irish leagues, um, but I think it's really just looking at the way that that can improve the game in Ireland. There will always be there will always be players that will cross the water to come into the leagues, of course here. But I think for all of us that, that have an interest in, in in Irish football, it's it's about the League of Ireland. And making the League of Ireland as good as possible, as sustainable as possible, the best quality as possible, and and I think it's something that we've always wanted. There, there, there is also always going to be planes full of of supporters, United supporters, you know, Liverpool supporters, and those coming over to watch the, the London teams, coming over from the Republic to watch the English teams. Um, but something that we've always wanted is is that. Is that you know that real support for you know for the local teams and and to see to see the numbers increase you know the the crowd the crowds increase in the local game because I think the strength of the local game I think is the strength of the organisation uh, and and I think also the strength of the younger player that is going to develop and, and develop into into senior into senior Republic of Ireland players. Absolutely. Um... Last one for me, Chris. Um, have you ever looked into coaching, you know, abroad, outside the, the UK and Ireland? Um, has that something that ever, you know, tickles your fancy, kind? Or do you think do you think you'd like that, or do you think that's something you look to in the future? Um, it's it's something that I, that that I am open to. You know, if if you ask me my uh, my preference, my preference at this moment, and of course, uh, I'm looking to get back into the game as as quick as possible. My, my preference would be to to manage here in England. Um, but I am more open, perhaps, than, than I would have been in in the past. Open to 
to different challenges. Um, I have had some opportunities to to travel, uh, sorry, to manage to manage uh, abroad and, and lots of inquiries. And there hasn't really been that one, I must admit, that, that, that has made me uh, make that decision or has made me come really close to, to, to that decision. Um, but it is something that, that I am open to. And um, it's, it's exactly the same as what it is here. It's got to be you know, the right job and, and the right challenge for me. Fantastic. Well, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn you over to Dave. Uh, you're a gentleman. We really appreciate your time and I wish you, not, I wish you nothing but the best uh, in the next move uh, for you and your family. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Chris, just to sort of segue on uh, Enda's question there, uh, there's two positions. Um, you know, John McDermott's leaving Tottenham, you know, that role that he has as player development. And then you talk about the Ireland position. Do either of those positions have like an emotional hold for you, you know, like in five years time that you could see yourself returning to Tottenham or taking over the manager's job at Ireland? Okay, and, and, and the, the situation now, you're talking about the manager's um, job in Ireland. Yes. Yeah, I mean, both, both, um, uh, both have a, an emotional strong connection for me. You know, the, um, the Tottenham connection, of course, um, I spent 27 years there. As a, as a player and, a, and as a coach. So it, it is my team, it's the team that, um, you know, after after looking at the results around us, it's the first result that I look for. And I thoroughly enjoy going there for games and I'm always well very, very well looked after whenever I go back. So yes, it does have an, an emotional hold, but I spent 27 years there. And, and on any way that, that I went back, you know, it's about what position that, that I would go back Therein, you know, I'm, I have a lot of experience, of course, in, in coaching, in and around the first team, and of course in, in, in management. So I would absolutely never say no to to a return. But, but also, you know, then there possibly will be a time, possibly will be a time when when uh, perhaps I've managed, uh, and I'm looking for something outside of management. But at this moment, it's very much about management. Um, as regards to the Irish job, um, I think it's, it will always have an emotional hold for um, for anybody. I think that, that has represented their country, and I, and I would be no different. And at this moment, my real desire, passion, the, the things that, that that really motivate me are the day-to-day -day football, and probably that's the the, the biggest difference. And, and I think when you speak to international managers. I think that is the thing that they say they miss the most, you know, the day-to-day -day work on the training pitch with the players. Of course, what you do have is that you have the, the, the honour of representing your country as, as the manager. And, and of course, you know, that, that on the balances, I suppose that, that can take over. But at this moment, it's still very much for me about the day-to-day -day management of players and, and being on the glass with them. So you're looking at a return to management. I know when you were out of work in 2014 with Norwich, you took a, a, a corporate management um, program and you studied in college. You know, what have you done in this period for your own professional development? And in general, what are some of the professional development opportunities you've taken on to improve yourself as a coach or a manager? Um, yes, well, the, the, course I, the course I took was in, was in governance um, and uh, very difficult, and, and what happened was is that I got the, the, the Brighton job, 
uh, in January the 1st. So I still, I still had, I think, some three months to complete the course. So it was quite difficult, but I was delighted that I'd done it. And probably um, the reason why I'd done it was because it was just to experience other aspects of, of life and, and, and in the game and what it's like at, at board um, level. And, and, uh, and I don't know. You know, at, at some stage, it might be something that that would interest me. So, first and foremost, that's the reason the reason why I did it. But, but I think we all have, and particularly the the young coaches, and you will have a, a lot of young coaches listening and taking advice from you. And the, and I think it is about a thirst for knowledge. The game has changed, you know, and there, there are so many new aspects of our life, um, so many new roles in the game. You know, when when you think back to so certainly when I was first playing and there would be a manager and assistant manager, you know, one doctor, one physio. Now these are huge departments. So I think we, we owe it to ourselves for this, this first analysis. So in this period of time, it, it's to just continue to educate yourself. What, what, of course, I wasn't able to. I was before the lockdown. I would have been going to two, three games a week and um, just seeing different systems, knowledge of new players. In this period of time, it's, it's reading as much as possible, going through a lot of your, your coaching sessions that you do, so that when you get back into the game, that you are you are prepared, and trying to keep us as busy as possible. Uh, we're fortunate here; we have a, a very good league managers association that does. That I think you would know there that does some some really good works, puts on some really good uh, webinars, not just for people that, that that are in football, but certainly people that, uh, that are outside of the game, directorships, big businesses, CEOs, um, and we've had some really excellent. So there's always enough to keep yourself busy um, because you don't know when that phone call will come. And of course, when it does come, you've got to be ready for it. I've been fortunate to see you work at Tottenham, but you know, who do you now go to, to observe and watch? Like who are the one or two coaches or managers in England that you'd like to see or you have seen in the last year or so? Um, well, I, I've been fortunate, not, not so much to go and see, I, I've, been, I've been fortunate that, and our game, our game is fortunate to hear that, that there is a really good rapport um, regarding the, the coaches that, that, and the managers that we have here. You know, some are more open than others as regards to the work that they do. Uh, Brendan Rogers is one that I've known um, for, for, for quite some time and, and has had a, a pathway um, in some ways similar to mine, not not completely like mine, but, it, but in some ways similar to mine. And Brendan is one, um, and I think probably the one at the moment that, that is the most open, the most open about the way that he works um, and the opportunity to, to see him work. Um, but, but even going back over the years, Tony Pulis, is somebody that I've known for years. And Tony, when, whenever I was out of the game, Tony would, would say to me, and, and I never took him up on that opportunity, but it wasn't certainly because of, um, of, of lack of, of, of wanting to, it was because of other things. But, but he, would, he would always say, come up, take a session, take a session with, with his first team. He, and he's very, very open to, to different interpretations, different ways of, of doing things. So we're good. We have a good network here. And um, sometimes it's not just about seeing how somebody works, but it's about, about conversations. And, and of course, when I was in work, then, you know, there are 
the meetings that we would have, the league meetings that we've had. Um, but what I have found also is that after games, and some managers are, are more receptive to to having a drink after a game and discussing other things than others. But um, but a lot are, and you can get some really good conversations about how they work their week, some of the philosophies that they have, how they deal with certain things, and and at the moment they're some of the things that I miss. You, you mentioned earlier, you know, you've been at Tottenham a long time, or you were at Tottenham a long time. Uh, you started when Bill Nick, Bill Nicholson, the great Bill Nicholson, was manager. Do you have any stories, insight? Did he ever talk to your team when you were training? Um, any stories when you were a player? Just the insight from a legendary manager. Well, I think that no, um, no, no particular um, stories. I remember. I remember on one occasion when, um, when, and this is this is a, an individual that's not around at the moment, uh, a lad called Mark Kendall, and um, we was on a, a, a pre-season youth team tour, uh, and Bill Nick had come with us, and um, watching over us, obviously with us every day um, in in the restaurant, and um, and Mark Kendall, who was somebody that. Uh, that, um, that could put weight on, um, and we all knew that, and, and um, Bill Nicholson knew that as well. So, at every dinner time, lunchtime, Mark would be eating very carefully, and and salads and and um, and what have you. And then on one occasion, we were walking through the town, and and we saw we saw the great Bill Nicholson, of course, that had been with us, and we saw him in a, in a precinct looking through this window. And as we got closer, it was, I don't know if it was McDonald's at the time, but it was a McDonald's type shop at the time. So, and, and as we approached, Bill Nick was looking through the window and who's in there eating the, the biggest Big Mac that he could was, um, was our young goalkeeper, uh, Mark Kendall. So that's a funny story. Um, most of the stories and, and uh, that we have about Bill Nick are about um, the advice that he gave us. As a, as a youth team, he would watch a youth team uh, every Saturday. Um, when I was first in the team, Bill was still connected to the team, but he wasn't the manager. Keith Birkinshaw was the manager, but Bill was always around, and um, Bill would give us some, always give us some real wise words, simple words um, that you you listen to, and you would watch. You would watch not only the young players but the, the senior players. On any occasion when when they spoke to them, you only had to look at the conversation. And for somebody, and even for some of the young lads that, that, that you know weren't the best listeners, you could not but listen intently to him because you knew his history. He still lived around the corner from from the stadium, uh, almost almost to the day that that he passed away. Um, and he was a great ambassador for all of us. Two, two of the best Spurs teams I've ever seen, Chris, were the 81-82 team and the 86-87 team. You know, and they were fighting for, you know, the quadruple in 82 and the treble in, 80, in 87 and only ended up winning one FA Cup. Why did those two teams not win the league? And then in terms of Dave Pleat's 4-5-1, which he took from Argentina, how was it to play in that, that team at that era? Uh, well, I go back to, uh, firstly to, to the the eighty, you know, eighty one, eighty two, going through to eighty fourteen, which was a 
um, an incredibly exciting team, had a wonderful balance of players and, and you know, people would look at that team and think, well, how can you get that balance right when you've got an Ardilas, a Glenn Hoddle or Ricky Villa, you know, all playing in the same team, you know, all what people would regard as flair players. Um, um, we were able to do it because of the balances. You know, Tony Galvin was a, was, uh, was a straightforward up and down left winger that, uh, that gave us a great outlet on that left-hand side. We had two centre-halves that were both incredibly tough in, in individuals and Glenn would play narrow on, on that, on that right-hand side, um, as, I, as I spoke about before. And of course, in Crooks and Archibald, we had two different types of, of centre-forward that we could be flexible with. Um, and of course, going on to Dave Pleat, the David Pleat's team in 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 eighty seven that that also had a, a little bit of everything, you know. When people ask me that, you know, what what that team was was lacking, the the obvious parts was was maybe that consistency, that consistency of of dragging out results, you know. If I look to the 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 great team, the great team of the, the 70s and, you know, early 80s of Liverpool. And uh, we played against Liverpool many times. I saw many of them games of Liverpool teams in, in the 70s. And, you know, people will look at them and think, you know, what a great, exciting team they were. Well, they wasn't always exciting. And on a lot of occasions, they were just efficient. They were a 4-4-2 team that made... The best out of what they they got, and if you looked at the type of players that they had, a lot of players that come from the lower leagues. So although they could score goals, they always had great centre forwards. They were an efficient team, and I think probably what we lacked was that little bit of efficiency, that little bit of, you know, if generally if we won games, it's because you know we we played well. You know, Liverpool, that great Liverpool team, and I think Everton also. I think when when they were at best, and and certainly. The, the Arsenal teams, you know, under George Graham, they didn't have to play well to win football matches. And I think that the Tottenham teams that you, you spoke about, not all the time, but I think on probably more occasions than in other teams I've spoke about, you know, had to play well to win games. I'm going to close out with one last question that Gary usually asks of all of our guests is, uh, what advice would... A, uh, an older Chris Hooten give to a younger Chris Hooten in terms of his career, both as a player and as a manager. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a, a very very good question, and and of course, um, you know, I've been around a long time. Um, probably be one of the answers which uh, which I, I spoke about before is to be yourself and to work within your, your personality because your personality is what will see you through it will what will define the, the type of coach that you are and your coaching style that that will define you that you try to be something different and i think we can all we can all look at the coaching manuals and all see the top coaches and want to 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 uh, emulate them um, but be yourself around that around that have a thirst for knowledge and and probably probably in my uh, in my early years uh, as a coach um you know i probably i probably didn't 
have that thirst, that real thirst for knowledge that I think that you need now. I think because the dynamics are, uh, are different now, I think you need to know more aspects of the game and the things that, that, that we've spoke about. And, and that means, that means, you know, using the internet, getting your badges, going on courses, and probably in my era, um, my, I, I think possibly that I would have been able to, or I would have fast-tracked a little bit quicker, I think if I'd been like that earlier in my, my coaching career. Um, so it's about a thirst for knowledge. It's about being yourself. And it's about also picking up, picking up the best bits you can from the coaches that you worked with. And there will be good parts of, of, of every coach. There will be parts that you don't agree with and there'll be parts that you think, well, I don't really want to take that on my journey with me. But, but you know, pick up the best bits that you can from the coaches that, uh, that you've worked under. And again, that thirst for, for knowledge um, and as quick as possible. Very sage advice there, Chris. Um, just a quick note, Brian Kerr says hello. He's listening in from Dublin. Um, so he said hello to you. Uh, just on behalf can of... I, can, I, can I say a quick uh, hello to Brian? I speak to Brian uh, regular, and, and as I've said, as I've said in, the, in this session, it was, a, it was an honour for me to work uh, with Brian. And, and if we talk about enthusiasm in the game, you know, and that's something that we've spoke about, that real thirst for knowledge, there aren't, as, there aren't many that have a, as much enthusiasm as what uh, as Brian does have for the game. And I, and I saw that every day that I worked with him. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you know, the advice, the insight that you've given. Uh, looking forward to having you on when you, you know, get appointed in your next role and in your next position. Um, good luck wherever you end up. So I'm going to hand you back to uh, Gary to, to close out. Yeah, no, just echoing that there, Chris. This has been amazing. Uh, some brilliant advice and really appreciate your, your honesty and your insight. So we'll... Hopefully keep in touch and, yeah, maybe get you on again sometime in the future. But look forward to seeing you back in the game and keep safe. No, and I, and I really appreciate and appreciate the, the, the platform because you know, platforms like this are important for everybody. We, we have a great um, love for the game. Um, it's something that I enjoy. I enjoy talking about the game. And, and, and every time somebody gives me that opportunity to talk about it, you know, it's something that uh, that I really enjoy. So, thank you very much to to everybody that's uh, listened or will listen, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.